0: Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson here on Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to The Unbillable Hour, the law practice advisory podcast helping attorneys achieve more success. We're glad you can listen today on The Legal Talk Network. Today's episode is about, well, it's about everything. Because once in a while, I want to take a step back. You know, on The Unbillable Hour, we focus deeply on really impactful things that you can do to get your law firm to run more like a business, to serve you. Much of what we talk about will make your business and your life better. And it's all in these details and the deep learning that we do together. But sometimes I think it makes sense to pull back and take a look at the forest instead of the trees. And I like to do that a couple of times a year to kind of get that better perspective. And this year, we're going to talk today about change waves in small law, whether surf or drown. And my guest today to talk about that, um, and actually we're going to do this as a two-part episode, um, is Greg Garmin because just, there's just too much to do in one show. So we're going to talk to Greg Garmin today. He's the CEO of Law Clerk, um, and he's been studying the evolution of the legal marketplace as a lawyer and as a business owner for many years. And he's going to be sharing some of his d- deep insight into what's been happening and what is likely to happen and how fast. And of course, I am your host, Christopher Anderson, and I'm an attorney with a singular passion for helping other lawyers achieve success with their law firm businesses. In the Unbillable Hour each month, we explore an area important to help you be a more profitable lawyer through growing your revenues, getting back more of your time, and or getting more professional satisfaction from your business. The Unbillable Hour is dedicated to bringing you guests each month to help you learn more about how to make your law firm business work for you instead of the other way around. Before we get started, I do want to say a thank you to our sponsors, Nexa. Solo Practice University, Scorpion, and Law Clerk. Nexa, formerly known as Answer One, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at www.nexa.com. Solo Practice University is a great resource for solos no matter how long you've been practicing. Make sure you check out solopracticeuniversity.com and learn how to run your practice better. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Law Clerk, where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Visit lawclerk.legal to learn how to increase your productivity and your profits by working with talented freelance lawyers. And as I said before, today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is change waves in small law, surf or drown. And, and I phrase the title that way because it really is a choice, but it's one that we're all going to be facing and are already facing. My guest today to talk about this with me um, is Greg Garmin? He's the co-founder, the founder and CEO of Law Clerk. Greg, welcome to the Unbillable Hour.
2: Chris, thanks so much for having me.
1: Not at all. It's my pleasure and my privilege. Um, I really appreciate you being on. So, as I always do, and become quite notorious for, my my re- my introductions are uh, awful. Um, so uh, just tell, I mean, obviously Law Clerk is a sponsor. Um, that's not why you're here. It's you're here because you and I have had a couple of really fascinating conversations that I wanted to share with uh with our listeners. But uh just tell us a little bit about Law Clerk, the background that led you to bring Law Clerk to the marketplace.
2: Yeah, thanks, Chris. So um Law Clerk is a proud sponsor of your show, but 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 I'm here today uh to kind of talk about my 25 years of of history not only as a practicing lawyer, but I've spent most of it um, in the business of law. I started uh, as a lawyer in the 90s, um, worked my way from being a a summer associate to the managing partner of a pretty good-sized regional firm, um, and ultimately um, left to form uh, a boutique uh, law firm, a a much smaller headcount, primarily because I saw the world was changing. And Law Clerk was a project that and it came out of our passion for what we did as lawyers, but you know, really small law solos and small law—they needed more tools to do what it is that we as lawyers do best. And so, Law Clerk um, was built because I and my co-founders, who are all lawyers, we all came from the same background. Um, we realized that you know some of those new tools that were needed included um, the use of freelancers, and so you know Law Clerk is a marketplace. Um, it's a place to build a virtual law firm, um, hire virtual associates either to work with once or to work with on a regular basis to to get more work done faster for our clients um, in a way that increases profits, lowers overhead, um, allows for and, and gives specialized services um, subject matter expertise it, it really is a way we built it so that small and solo shops and even in-house counsel can get all the tools of specialization in this world um, without having to increase their cost structure or their overhead
1: yeah and I think that's really great I'll remind our listeners we actually have an entire episode about outsourcing um, and and using uh, outsourced or or, or gig or however you want to call it but legal professionals to help expand temporarily our capacity to to like you said serve our clients better. Um today though, I, we're going to really like we're going to pull back and pull back and pull back to 10, 20, maybe even 30,000 feet um, because there are some really big changes coming. I mean, not not for nothing even law clerk. Um, this is a business that probably couldn't have existed 20, 30 years ago because of the demand because of the perception because of the way that people saw how a law firm operated and the fact that you're able to start that business and that it's doing well i think is one of the one of the things that are indicating the big changes that are coming but let's talk about it from the top down what are you seeing as the big challenges that the legal industry is facing right now on like total macro level
2: so you know legal is the largest piece of the us economy that hasn't been disrupted by technology we uh, account for nearly 2% of the U.S. GDP. Um, that makes us a 300, nearly $350 billion industry. And to put that in perspective, that's the same size as the, as, as the entire economy of Israel. Right. It's larger than the economy of Ireland. It's larger than the economy of Singapore. And there is no piece of the economy that operates exactly the same way that it did 80 years ago. And so, you know, first and foremost, we are, um, you know, in a world in which simple evolution is catching up to our profession. But on top of that, the economics of law are are just fundamentally changing, um, and they're changing in a way that's that's going to make it, I don't wanna say more difficult, but we're gonna to have to evolve. So, so in 2000, and, I'm sorry, in 1975, legal services were about one half of 1% of GDP. And it peaked out in two thousand six. And the peak was just shy of two percent of GDP. But so that's a as a percentage of GDP, that's a four
1: hundred percent increase of share of, of yeah. everything that's produced, four times as much
2: 30 years later was going into legal. And and that's and that's what made this such in in some ways an easy profession for generations of lawyers. Yeah. We focused exclusively on revenue. Um, we measure ourselves kind of the same way that dot-coms did in the late 90s. We talked about revenue per lawyer. We talked about revenue per employee. Uh, mature companies talk about them, them, themselves in, in a cost structure, and a profit component. Those weren't even the metrics of things that we talked about. So 2006 rolls around. We peak out as a percentage of GDP. Um, this is pre-Great Recession, and and clients started to reevaluate the way that they were spending their money with lawyers bigger companies started to say things like i'm not going to train your young lawyers um, the acceptance of just an 8 10 whatever percentage increase of an hourly rate those stopped in you know a decade ago and and people have i think inappropriately wanted to blame the Great Recession for the changes in legal when this was a trend that started before that. And so the growth machine came to an end more than a decade ago. And really what that's left us is it's it's left us with an infrastructure that has a, a supply demand tidal wave that I, I, I kind of talk about uh, on a regular basis that's hitting this industry. Uh, and we're not very well prepared for it. Um, We're still producing 30,000, 35,000 new lawyers a year in an area of the economy that, candidly, is no longer growing. And that's having, um, for good or bad, uh, a monumental impact on the way that we'll operate. And, you know, we'll probably dig into that some. Underemployment is in that um, I think we see on almost an an epidemic basis in, in legal. This is a really hard industry in that... You know, it's it's regularly expected that you're going to work not just a 40 hour week, but a 50, 60, 70 hour week. Uh, And and that leads people to make life decisions in which they decide raising children is incompatible with being a 70 hour work week lawyer. It means that uh, if a spouse has to move, um, it's tough to take a bar. Uh, and every time you know get you get relocated for your business. so there there is dramatic underemployment in this industry.
1: So by under like just I just want to be clear by underemployment, what do you like you mentioned it's expected that we work seventy hours. What do you mean by underemployment?
2: Well, what I mean is that from two factors is you know we sort of experience, there there are people who are incredibly well trained but had to make a decision that they couldn't work a 70 hour work week and that sort of leaves them in some ways outside of the workforce. Right. Um, in that if you don't work full time as a lawyer and you're always working to, to to build your book of business and always working to market and always working to do those things, um, whether you're in a small firm or big law, um, it's not uh, an area of law that's lent itself to to part time employees on a, on a particularly great level. Uh, and then the supply demand curve, we're just simply producing too many lawyers. And those people are finding themselves dramatically um, underemployed. In that, when you when you look at the numbers as to um, you know employment, um, which you know the, the the most reliable source of employment data is if you get a job that's full time, long term, that requires a JD for you right, to, to, right. to do your, to your job, you know those numbers are are not particularly great. Um, you know, they're still oftentimes upwards of 10, 15% of a class that, that are going underemployed um, a full year after yeah, uh, months later after they've graduated. And, and, and that stuff is incredibly difficult. Um, and then the reality is, is that you know when you look at the data that Cleo and others put out as to the number of billable hours that the average uh, small <laughs> it's firm... It's remarkable. Day, it's staggering yeah. how, how we have excess capacity of time that we're really well trained, spent a lot of money at that training, and we're not putting it towards productive means. Always at the end of the day, and and these are you know really big macroeconomic trends that aren't going away simply because the economy is getting better. They're fundamental changes in the the legal marketplace that I think um, we need to um, address on a on a more um, fulsome basis. Yeah.
1: Now, um, we're, we're about to head out to a break. But what I wanted to like, I just want to tell our listeners, this isn't going to be all gloom and doom. We've got some we, we this is going somewhere. And I think it's going somewhere really positive for those who want to not drown, but surf surf the wave. But before we go to break, I just want to ask one one question, because like what, what I'm hearing from you, I just want to confirm, really, I, I have noticed like what you said about the number of graduates, the while totally true, I think the the supply side is responding. Law school applications and matriculations are down. And uh, and so that that side of it is starting to respond to the uh, to what you're talking about, this sort of uh, too many people going into a not growing market. But you've also mentioned two things that are like overhangs, right? So you've got, like you said, 30, 35. There were many, many years where we were producing close to 45,000 graduates um, all the way through this time period, through 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. Um, and uh I think the scary one is what you were talking about, and we'll we'll go into the details in a minute, but the number of hours that are actually being produced by most of these. So like, like we could probably double the capacity of our ability to provide legal services without adding a single human being uh, to legal services just if we make if we fix the two or two point five hours that Clio's got out there as as what solos are giving to the legal services.
2: and And you know, the good news on that, Chris, is that, there's a market that's ready to double and that half of the legal services that are needed in this country, um, don't get a lawyer put on them yeah. because of the way we've, uh, our businesses candidly haven't evolved as quickly as they, sh- as they should. So, uh, to, to sort of echo what you said, every meaningful piece of the economy from time to time, Chase, uh, is, is, facing, um, challenges, but you, you can, and we should come out of this stronger on the other end. Um. Provided you know we have the conversation uh, as a group and 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 we make the changes that are needed.
1: Great. So I'm talking to Greg Garman. He's the CEO of Law Clerk, and we've been talking about the supply demand tidal wave um, that's really impacting our business, the business of law. Uh, the fact that there's we've been producing a lot of lawyers going into a, a marketplace that's not growing yet, um, and also that the fact that we're producing very few hours of productivity right now. Um, And uh, I think we've at least shown a little bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel. And we're pretty sure it's not an oncoming train, at least not for everybody. But before we go into uh, what we're seeing going forward, we'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm's software, and much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high-value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. And we're back uh, with Greg Garman, CEO of Law Clerk, and we're talking about the change wave in small law and the pretty much the supply-demand tidal wave that's been hitting the industry, causing what Greg has described as underemployment among a lot of attorneys, which is of course causing them to struggle. There's a number, Greg, that um, you didn't mention that I wanted to bring to the fore, uh, and, and you know we we talked about. The fact that we're only producing, uh, and I, don't, I forgot the exact number from Cleo. you might know it, of, of hours on average of actual legal work. But uh, the other one was a, a research done by someone who just went into IRS records and came out with what the average solo lawyer is taking home in, in income. And it was under $50,000, um, which I think is demonstrative of, of that underemployment that you're talking about.
2: Yeah. and And- it's it's a terribly sad number because um, for the last couple of decades, you know, legal really has been a place that the best and brightest go to. You know, there there are, there are phases in history. There were you know the rocket scientists of the '60s and engineers, and over the last um, you know couple of generations, it was finance and law is where I think the test scores and the qualifications of applicants showed that, you know, we're a really good profession of really, really smart people. Uh, yes. and, and there really is, um, I think a fundamental evolution to this business that is critical, um, to get really smart people, the amount of money that they deserve to make for the good work that they do.
1: Yeah. And so one of the problems I think that, that this all highlights is, you know, with the underemployment, with the, with this sort of supply to demand imbalance Uh, And one of the points that you've made to me when we've talked before is that young attorneys, particularly attorneys coming out of law school, like you said, brilliant people. They're not trained. They're trained by law school, but they're not trained to be lawyers in the way that we've done it before. They're not getting that training and
2: mentoring. Why is that happening? What's going to be the impact of that? Yeah, so, you know, I think law schools do a great job. And they're really, really fabulous, smart people, but they tend to come from an academic background or they also tend to come from a big firm background that that, that tends to be the, the criteria in which people make the junk to the academic world. They candidly don't really have the skills themselves of ever operating their own businesses. And you know, just like we learn... The model rules in law school and not necessarily the rules of any given state were underserving students when it comes to teaching them the fundamentals of how to run a business. And, and candidly, it had never been important before and because there really had right. been generations of lawyers who you either went to work for um, a smaller or larger firm. Uh, and you learned on the job. It was very much in some ways like a, an apprentice program of some form and that you learned the business, the economics of, of, of timekeeping, of sending bills out. Partners yelled at associates to make sure their time was in, you know, just one way or another, the, the business lessons were learned. So the world kind of changes more and more, I don't know, I don't have the statistics at my fingertips, but the number of people who go right from law school to putting out their own shingle as a solo or small firm are staggeringly high. Uh, and yeah. and and they're just left to do this on their own without a great deal of training. And so, you know, I do think that maybe there's a, a discussion to be had about, you know, I know in my third year of law school, I took really interesting courses on, you know, some constitutional deep dives and bioethics and and medicine and the law, you know, maybe it's time to put some of those more fundamental um, business courses uh, kind of back in the curriculum or you know, the firms I've run or been a part of, you know, we've always had fairly robust summer programs. Um, you know, maybe, maybe those get expanded into a a four credit system in which, um, you spend a year or a whole semester at a firm and you start to learn the fundamentals that way. Yeah. What, what are the numbers you're actually
1: seeing? Cause I think like the last time I looked solos and small firms were constituted lawyers working in solos and, and small firms, firms under five lawyers
2: were more than half
1: just barely more than half of the lawyers. So you see that trend accelerating.
2: That's actually more than that now. Yeah, uh, solos are forty nine percent by themselves, one man or woman. Um, they're forty nine percent, and firms of five or fewer have made their way all um, all to about seventy six percent. Were the last numbers I saw. I think that was about a year ago. I saw those. So so three out of every four lawyers are affiliated in firms of five or fewer. And and you know the reality is is that um, being in a firm of five doesn't mean that you're a, that you've joined together to be full service. Yeah. It doesn't mean you've got a litigator and a real estate lawyer. Sometimes it means that the economics of sharing office space, sharing a conference room, sharing a, a secretary or a paralegal are the reasons that you join together. So yeah, I um, find
1: as many of those five lawyer firms to be really roommates rather than a business.
2: Right. And, and, and think about it. So this is such a huge industry and the largest law firm by U.S. headcount, I know there are bigger law firms in the world, but I believe the largest law firm by headcount is Greenberg Traurig, which is give or take 18, 1900 U.S. based lawyers. That's nineteen hundred lawyers out of a out of a practice group of one point three six million. Yeah, you know, I defy anybody to find an industry that 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 is this big that has such um, low concentration. Um, you know, at the top. And so, you know, the average person on the street thinks of of lawyers um, disproportionately in the context of big law. Uh, but that's just really not where the bulk of the market is. Yeah, the bulk that's what of people think it is. Is solos and smalls. And, you know, that hasn't been the focus. It hasn't been the focus of people trying to change the business
1: model. Well, and so let's let's talk about the business model because I think that's that's the crux of it, right? We have all the facts that we've just talked about they're all results they're all how rational human beings have responded being the lawyers and the law firms have responded to the business model they've found that this is the way that they're going to respond to the business model and like you said it hasn't been consolidated it doesn't respond the way other business models other businesses in of our similar size have so what's wrong with the business model what 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 hasn't happened that has happened with other Markets,
2: yeah. So we really are going to get to the place where we talk about how to make it better, but but yeah. but but the business model is something that. So so I have this plaque on my desk, that I think literally hundreds of thousands of lawyers across the country do, which is the plaque of Lincoln that says, you know, a, a lawyer's time is, is is stock and trade. Yeah, stock and trade. Um, and but that's actually a bit of a misnomer, you know, in until the um, until this 1960s. The bar associations around the country generally set a maximum fee that could yeah. be charged um, for any particular piece of work. Um, contingency fees were permitted, kind of beginning. I think my recollection is in the 30s and 40s, but then it became in the in the 1960s. The first state bar associations decided that hourly billing was um, an ethical thing to do, um, and, and there's certainly no doubt that you know that we as a profession embraced it. Um, over the last, uh, you know, uh, 70 years, because it's very profitable. Since I've been a lawyer for nearly 25 years now, I have been hearing on a on a weekly basis that the billable hour is dead. Yeah, it never goes anywhere. <laughs> and, and the reason why is very simple. We have a million business models that we could adopt but none of them are as profitable as the business hour, as the billable hour. And and we are smart people. We're not going to throw away our profit simply in the name of evolution of our business for, you know, for all the reasons that, that they're just obvious. So I think that, you know, the problem is that if you were to bring a lawyer from the, from the '60s um, forward to today, a lot of them still exist. But but you know, if someone someone who was at the end of their career in the '50s or '60s, they would recognize what we do with without the computers on our desk and the phone systems exactly. And, and yeah, the business model needs to change. And there have been two, and in my opinion, there have been two primary reasons it hasn't changed. The first is that we as lawyers are are trained. In the art of precedent, we're we're trained to be cautious. The things that make entrepreneurs are driven out of us in law school. In in some ways, appropriately so, because we are a conservative lot by nature. And and precedent, I think, is the most important things. I tell my partners at my at my law firm this all the time. Um, you know, you get in the Jack Welch Business Hall of Fame if you bat. 400, uh, which means you fail more often than you succeed. And you, you you go tell your, your partners at a law firm, you want to make a fundamental change in the business model and you're on the receiving end of a deposition questioning. And, and, and so we're, it's tough because we're trained to do that. And the second thing is bar associations, bar associations, and, and they have the best interests of, of clients at heart. I am generally a huge fan of what bar associations do, but you know, in balancing protecting clients from unscrupulous lawyers, they've made it harder to evolve the business. And that's a, that's a balancing act that's very hard, um, but it's one that's beginning to teeter the other direction, as, you know, we've seen in recent weeks what Utah and other states have done, um, saying that we need to, to allow for more evolution to the business model. So, you know, the, in, in my experience, those are the two things that have held us back. Um, from changing the business model. But honestly, that's what we're devoting our, you know, we, we at Law Clerk are all about trying to help people bring their business model to look like something different. And, and, you know, that's what you've been doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's you know, it's interesting what you said about it being most profitable in that that's been true. There are There are other businesses that have in the past had an hourly billing rate. You know, my car mechanic had an hourly billing rate. Um, and others have. Uh, and, I, and, and I'll tell you in a minute about a joke that goes over really well in unexpected places and really badly in unexpected places about billable hours. But, uh, but that holding us back has been particularly uh, interesting. And there's a lot of structural impediments to transferring from that. And when we come back from the break, I want to go into those a little bit more. Um, but first, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk about the impediments to changing that business model um, and then uh, I'd like to hear from you a little bit about the, the cost structure, and then we'll start moving towards how we start to think about why it's broken. What what about it is broken? Because you know the other problem with talking about the death of the billable hour is people say it, but then they don't say why it's so bad. When you just explain why it's so good. But first, a word from our sponsors. Ready to create and build your own solo or small farm practice? Need a nuts-and-bolts education on the 360-degree experience of starting a business? There's only one online destination dedicated to helping you achieve your goals. Solo Practice University. The only online educational and professional networking community dedicated to lawyers and law students who want to go into practice for themselves. More than a 1,000 classes, 58 faculty and mentors. What are you waiting for? Check out solopracticeuniversity.com today. LawClerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a research memo or a complicated appellate brief, our network of freelance lawyers have every level of experience and expertise. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Use rebate code UNBILLABLE to get a $100 Amazon gift card when you complete your next project. Learn more at lawclerk.legal. And welcome back to the Unbillable Hour. We're talking with Greg Garman. Uh, the CEO and founder of law clerk and what we're talking about is the structural uh business model challenges um to that, that have held law in place um I, I was going to say held it back but I don't think that's fair but it, they've positioned the business of law uh to be um in a place where it's as greg described one of the last ones to be disrupted and so going forward we're going to talk to him about why it's broken and then we'll move on to to what we can do to fix it so Greg, you know it's funny. The um, one of the I was gonna I told you I wanted to talk about uh, the joke. One of the jokes I tell, and it, it's it's always been amusing to me when I'm out on the road doing speeches, as I do a lot. Um, I, I I tell this joke, and the joke is simply uh, there. You know when we're talking about the billable hour, we're talking about why the billable hour is really at the end of the day not the best for our clients who we're supposed to be serving, and is really while it is the you, you, as you described, it is very profitable. Only if you don't look at the business as a whole, because it's holding us back from growth. Transactionally, it's very profitable. Strategically, it's not. But so the joke is, I say, so there's really only two things that people uh, want to pay for by <laughs> the hour. And and I have the audience guess, you know, do you know what they are? And, and uh, people, people always, you know what, people always come up with the first one uh, and never the second one. The second one is parking. Uh, people do prefer to pay for parking by the hour. Um, and then the first one, of course, is sex. And that goes over extraordinarily well in Salt Lake City. Uh, it goes over really well in a lot of conditions. It went over great in Cheyenne, Wyoming. But yet I did it in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And man, it was <laughs> crickets. Just crickets crickets but anyway uh so you know the, the truth is and I think I'd like you to speak to that because to me what you said is very true in that you know it is a very profitable business model but like my car mechanic when I first started driving you know 30 gosh yeah 30 years ago uh you know my car mechanic did charge by the hour but now they've got like these rate books and they still pretend to charge by the hour but just because the book says that to pull a radiator out and put a radiator back in is 2.7 hours but they don't actually spend two point seven hours on it. It's just you know, it's a it's a proxy right. for for dollars for a flat fee. Um, what I'd like you to react to, to my comment on the fact that it may be profitable transactionally, but not really strategically. And uh, why does it stick around?
2: Yeah. Well, so you actually nailed it. You called it a proxy, and that's what th- that's what we talk about all the time, which is. The Bill of hour came out of a world in which it was the proxy or the measurement for value. You know, it came from a world and an economy in which, you know, in which labor was disproportionately um, factory labor or farm labor or some other, it was a manual economy. And we used time as a proxy for value and for delivery um, to an employer or to to a customer or whatever the case may be, but the economy has you know fundamentally reinvented itself not only as a service economy but as an economy based upon leverage. And I don't mean financial leverage. I mean, you know, you can create a podcast and it goes to you know thousands and thousands of people. Uh, you can create a bit of code and it goes to millions of people. And so the old ways of measuring value, particularly through time, are no longer applicable in this world of leverage. And that same form of leverage um, can be brought to legal. So you know, let's let's think about it. We now have ways of of measuring time, of measuring productivity. Um, the the best example of this, uh, equating to your to your car mechanic analogy, Chris, is. If you look at the world of insurance defense, the insurance companies say your summary judgment motion can't take more than, I'm making up a number here, like 5.7 hours based upon data. That's because they figured out a better proxy for value and they determined, yeah, the amount of time is going to equal this many dollars and that's sort of what it takes to to produce at the end of the day. And so, you know, to, to me, this is the evolution of acknowledging that what we do as lawyers, while it's really, really important, is has been turned into much of a commodity. You know, th- there's clearly going to be bet the company litigation that Disney and others engage in and Apple and Samsung, um, in which price is no object and the arguments are novel and cutting edge. Um, but that's not 99% illegal. 99% legal what we do, has been done before. It's been done well before. We should learn from the work uh, product that others and we have created, and and you know we as lawyers, we stick with the billable hour, among other reasons because we have a bit of an inflated belief that what we do is like custom and bespoke made for our client, and we forget that the largest fortunes in history, uh, modern history, have all been commodities. Um, if you think about it, you know we've 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 got. Um, vast fortunes that were created in um, in oil. We've got vast fortunes that were created in you know commodities of all form. If you think about it today, you know smartphones have small differentiations between them, but they're they're a commodity product. Some are a little more luxury based than others, but it's all the same product, and they're built at scale. And we in legal have the ability to do that, but it's going to require us to think about how we deliver our services, find. Ever more efficient ways to deliver our services, but at the end of the day, selling a commodity over and over again into a bigger market is actually much more profitable than it is to sell a custom bespoke document one time. Um, but the, and, and that's and this is sort of I think the beginning of the how do we make the world better? We, we can expand our markets. You know, lower the cost of the goods that we deliver by employing tools and strategies and technologies that allow us to leverage the knowledge that we have, leverage the work that we've done, um, and be able to distribute it in a way that you know is 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 more than just one-on-one, but in a way in which you know modern media and and even to a certain extent modern medicine are able to leverage um, their knowledge base and their and their products to become a bigger piece of the economy in a way that fits with the evolution from a a labor-based economy to a knowledge-based economy.
1: And that does wrap up this edition of the unbillable hour, uh, the law business advisory podcast. Um, We're obviously going to be continuing this conversation with Greg uh, next episode. And uh, (laughs) to the extent that this one might be a little depressing, a little bit dark. um, Let me assure you that uh, we're going somewhere with this and the end result is a really, really exciting message um, for lawyers, for law firm practitioners, for solo and small firm business owners, um, for what the opportunities are in the future um, that are being set up by the challenges that we've been talking about today. Um, so, our guest today has, of course, been Greg Garman. Uh, he's the CEO of Law Clerk. Um, and uh, you can find out more about him uh, at his website and Twitter uh, that uh, Greg will be reading to you here in a second and uh you know if you have any questions feel free to reach out to him or of course uh, to me at the show uh greg where can uh where can folks reach out to you
2: yeah you know i love talking to people about this stuff so um it's easy to to reach us as a as a company at lawclerk.legal but i love to hear from people my my email address is ggarman uh at lawclerk.legal and then you can reach me on twitter at greg underscore greg_garman and it it makes my day when i when i hear from and uh find people who are as passionate about this as we are. Fantastic. Thank you, Greg. Chris, thanks so much for having me on. And of course,
1: this is Christopher Anderson. and I look forward to seeing you next month uh, as we listen to Greg Garman and me talk to you a little bit more about all the opportunity that comes from the challenges and the disruption um, that's being set up as we speak. Um, and I uh, really look forward to, uh, to continuing that conversation so that you can continue to build a law firm business that works for you. And remember... You can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks
0: for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network.